Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you that as we come to this uh, topic from your word on assurance of salvation, we are so comforted to know that you know us completely. And there may be some here tonight who are even struggling tonight with this topic and with the subject and looking to you tonight in your word for help and strength. And we pray, our Father, that by your spirit you would minister to each heart. Thank you for giving us the clarity of your word. Thank you that we can have the assurance that we are yours. And we pray that we will grow in that assurance and grow in the joy of our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. would invite you to open in your order of worship the outline on Westminster Confession of Faith 18. And if you uh, do not perhaps have the order of worship, it is in the back of the hymnal, Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 18. As we come to the subject on assurance of salvation, you have four groups of people in this subject, and they all have four different responses to assurance of salvation. The first group are unbelievers who don't care about things of God. They know they're not Christians and they don't care. So in some ways, it's easier to witness to this group because they're not self-deceived, thinking they are Christians when they're not. Then there's the second group of true believers, but are not sure they're saved, and they do not experience assurance of salvation for a variety of reasons. So we want to look particularly at that group tonight. Third group are the true believers and who do have an assurance of salvation. It's a great joy to them to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fourth group, and that's what complicates this discussion. There's a a group of people who think they are Christians, who think they are saved. They do have an assurance, but it's a false assurance because they're not really believers at all. And this is where the Westminster Confession starts with this fourth group, the danger of a confident but a false assurance. Let's read again the first large, long sentence of section one, although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and fleshly presumptions that they are in God's favor and in a state of salvation, this hope of theirs will perish. It's a very serious danger to have a false assurance. Somebody who believes Maybe by their feelings, maybe by their opinions, maybe by false teaching, thinking everything's right with them, between them and God, but they are not. They do not have a true assurance based on the truth of God's word. A person can be absolutely convinced that drinking arsenic will heal their headache. You can sincerely believe it, but the poison's going to kill you. Just because somebody intensely believes something doesn't make it true. And that's why it's important that the scriptures exhort us to examine our profession of faith, to be sure that it's true according to God's word. 2 Peter 1.10 instructs believers to be diligent to confirm your calling and your election. 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail the test. And then group three, there's the joy of a confident and true assurance, picking up again in section one. Nevertheless, those who truly believe on the Lord Jesus love him sincerely 
and strive to live in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, a hope that shall never make them ashamed. This certainty is not merely a conjectural and probable persuasion grounded on a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the divine truth of the promises of salvation, on the evidence in our hearts that the promised graces are present, and on the fact that the spirit of adoption witnesses with our spirits that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit, by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption, is the pledge of our inheritance. A believer is one who knows what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, coming to take our place and take the punishment that our sins deserve, and he took our place and paid for our sins in full. And so all those who repent of their sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, who have embraced the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, will be saved. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So an assurance of salvation is the conviction that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that you have received full forgiveness of your sins and you will inherit eternal life. So you're assured that not only does Jesus Christ die for sinners, but he's died for you. And you are trusting in him. And the scriptures teach that such a believer is to be certainly assured. The the writers of the confession want this to be the joy of each believer, a confident and a true assurance. The basis for this is the rest of section two. There's three tests. There's the promises of God's word. You always have to come back to scripture. Everything has to rest in scripture for the assurance of salvation, not your feelings, not your opinions, but based in the promises of the scripture. And then the assurance that the evidence of God's work, he's working in you. The promised graces, that's an old word for what we would say, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the experiential change in your person. You now desire to follow after the Lord and you desire to become more like Christ. And you're beginning to see that change happening more and more, putting off sin, more and more living for holiness. And the third is the witness of God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes his word And he assures you the promises are yours and Christ is yours. And then tonight we come to the sections three and four, the promises for a confident and true assurance is section three. And section four is the experience of one lacking a genuine and true assurance. So what do you do with, as a believer, and you doubt the assurance of your salvation? We want to look at that tonight. The writers of our confession gave an enormous attention to this matter. They desired that each believer have a confidence in the gospel, that they enjoy the fullness and the privilege of belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ as a son and daughter of the King. Reading then section 3, the promises for a confident and true assurance. This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and contend with many difficulties before he partakes of it. Yet because he's enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given to him by God, he may, without any extraordinary revelation, 
attain this assurance by a proper use of the ordinary means. It is therefore the duty of everyone to be very diligent in making certain that God has called and chosen him. By such diligence, his heart may grow in peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, in love and thankfulness to God, and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties which obedience to God requires, the proper fruits of this assurance. Thus, it is far from inclining men to carelessness. Did you notice it says that assurance of faith is not necessary for salvation? Their language is it's not of the essence of faith. If you truly are the Lord's and you're trusting in Christ, but you don't have assurance of your salvation, that doesn't keep you from heaven. This isn't required to enter into heaven. Remember Mark 9.24, the man with the deranged son, he came for healing. Jesus said everything is possible for him to believe. Who believes? And what did the man say? I believe, but help my unbelief. He had genuine faith, but not assurance of faith. Faith is progressive. It varies by each believer. It varies in different times in our life. It's not necessary to enter into heaven to have a firm assurance of salvation. But each Christian should work and strive to gain assurance of salvation. It's strong language in the confession. It's your duty for everyone to be very diligent in making certain of these things. It's the birthright of every believer. Puritan Thomas Brooks said, to have God's grace and to know that you have God's grace is to experience heaven, this side of heaven, to experience the joys of heaven now. Every believer will not experience assurance of salvation to the same degree, to the same pace, to the same way. And so we are patient with one another. Do not compare yourselves to others. And just by way of pastoral caution, to those who have very little assurance, there's no quick, simplistic four steps and you automatically have Assurance of salvation in the morning. There's much to look at. There's much to grow. And don't do it alone. Ask the help of an older believer, an elder, to help you work through assurance of salvation. There's lots involved. You must come to a greater understanding of the gospel, that it's not by works. It's by faith alone. It's in Christ alone. You must understand what the means of grace are. Perhaps even to reflect on what do I need to unlearn. Maybe I've picked up wrong understandings of pietism or the role of feelings. Perhaps there's unconfessed sin. Perhaps there's just even physical exhaustion and emotionally weak and overly sensitive conscience. There's lots of areas to explore. And if you struggle with the lack of assurance, I would encourage you, don't try it alone. Get the help of an older believer to work with you to come to assurance of faith and to realize that assurance of faith is the goal and it takes some time to get there. But by definition, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ already has faith before they have assurance of faith. You see, you have to have faith to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it might be a while before you come to assurance of faith, the maturity of faith. They're different. Thomas Watson said, sanctification is the seed. Assurance is the flower which grows from it. Assurance is a consequence of salvation. It's true for all Christians. 
the different times in our life when we come to full assurance of faith. Press on. Wait for the Lord for him to give you the full assurance of salvation, the promises of a confident and true assurance. And then our focus primarily tonight in section four, the experience of lacking a true and genuine assurance. True believers may have the assurance of their salvation shaken, diminished, or temporarily lost in various ways, as by negligence in preserving it, by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the spirit, by some sudden or violent temptation, or by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and allowing even those who reverence him to walk in darkness and have no light. So now we're looking at genuine believer, but assurance of salvation is very weak. In fact, almost might feel like it's gone. The Westminster Confession acknowledged the teaching of Scripture is the assurance of salvation and genuine believer might but go up and down. It's very pastoral here. I remember Dr. Claire Davis thought that this should have been the first section in this chapter because it's so pastoral and renumber the rest. Assurance of the sense of salvation cannot be constantly maintained at the same level in your whole life. It's going to fluctuate. John Owen uh, that well-known Puritan pastor once stated, quote, I myself preached Christ some years when I had but very little, if any, experiential acquaintance with access to God through Christ. Even though I preached the gospel for many years, I had very little assurance of salvation myself. He said things began to change when, quote, God graciously relieved my spirit by a powerful application of Psalm 130. There's again the witness of the Holy Spirit taking his word. But here's a believer sharing. It took me many years, even as a pastor, to have assurance of salvation. Section four then gives us the causes for a lack of assurance. It gives us the comfort for a lack of assurance and then let's look, consider some counsel for those who have a lack of assurance. The confession, first of all, gives us four causes for a lack of assurance. It can be the negligence of preserving it. You didn't put your armor on. And you didn't lift up that shield of faith with which to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Ephesians 6.16. 6, You've fallen into the wiles, into the traps that Satan has laid for you. When we neglect the means of grace, when we're not diligent to watch for the roaring lion, when we forget and absent ourselves from Sabbath works, worship and personal Bible reading and prayer and the means of grace, we become weaker, we become more exposed to the impact of the world, the power of the flesh, and the snares of the devil. We're more prone to our own self-deception, the love for Christ, the love for holiness grows cold. Thomas Watson said, Christians do not arrive at perseverance when they sit still and do nothing. It's not with us as with passengers in a ship who are carried to the end of their voyage while they sit still in the ship. We arrive at salvation with the use of means as a man comes to the end of a race by running to a victory by fighting. One of the causes for a lack of assurance is you've been careless. 
and you have neglected to preserve it. A second cause is falling into a particular sin, and so your assurance is shaken, is their language. A special sin, we would say particular sin, perhaps. We're all capable of all sin. That's the nature of sin. But there are some forms of sin that we each are particularly tempted by, particularly prone to. Because of the sinful nature in each of us, we are more prone to some sins and not others. Some are more prone to lust, to anxiety, to greed, and not so much others. And these areas of temptation need to be particularly guarded against. When, to, when someone falls into sin, which particularly grieves their conscience, which particularly brings shame to them or shame to the cause of Christ, your assurance can be shaken. And then it doesn't help any when Satan, who's the accuser of the brothers, comes when we're down and he kicks us when we're down and adds to the sense of brokenness and shame. It's in those times that God in his mercy removes a sense of assurance of salvation so that we repent and so that we return to him. And that's his mercy. He doesn't want us to be complacent. He doesn't want us to be tolerating our sins. He doesn't want us to be presuming upon his grace. And so he removes a sense of assurance. And we go into a time of doubt. Am I even a believer the way I'm living? So that we repent David, repenting of his adultery, Psalm 51, 8, let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And so one cause for a lack of assurance could be falling into particular sin. Repent, return to Christ. A third cause for a lack of assurance can be a sudden or violent temptation, so assurance is diminished. We can fall into a lack of assurance um, very suddenly. Like when a person has had a sudden accident, you might hear them say, Boy, when I woke up this morning, I never thought I'd be ending the day in a hospital bed. What a day this has been. Or someone who went to work and just been unexpectedly laid off. They head into a tailspin. Sometimes you can head into a time of a lack of assurance like that. What is God doing? Things are dark. I'm I'm not dealing with a sense. I don't have a sense of his presence and the joy of the gospel. Where has this come from? Some of the Puritans erred here, though there were exceptions. During England's Civil War, if there was a reversal in the battle, now that you were losing, it could plunge a Puritan general into a very dark spiritual crisis. We read of them wondering, has God turned against him? Is he elect? Circumstances are dark. These are very dark trials. And someone immature in understanding of trials can think the same, and it can affect their lack of assurance going through trials. But trials are not necessarily an indicator of your relationship with God. It's really the same error as the prosperity gospel, just in reverse. Prosperity gospel is preaching, God wants you to be happy and healthy and and all is well. If God is, if God is really pleased with you, then all is going to go well. 
Well, the reverse of that is, if you're going through dark times, then God's not pleased with you. But they're both wrong. They're both the flip sides of the same error. Hebrews 12 says, My son, speaking to a believer, do not lose heart when God rebukes you. Trials do not necessarily mean that you do not have God's love for you anymore as a son or a daughter. But trials come in God's purposes to conform us into the likeness of Christ. He's teaching you, weaning you away from your experiences and causing you to trust and obey him. Job learned trials were God's furnace to refine the dross. They weren't necessarily a marker that he wasn't a believer or that God didn't love him. But a violent temptation, a time of dark trials, can be a time when assurance of salvation then is diminished. And there's a fourth category, and that is God's withholding assurance. So assurance is temporarily lost. The language there is withdrawing the light of his countenance. This is not the same thing that you lack assurance because of your sin. And God has removed it. This is a planned interruption by God and his wisdom, which we don't always understand, that he's removed from a believer a sense of assurance. There's been nothing you've done wrong. There's been nothing that you have done that has caused this. But God and his wisdom, sometimes to a believer, removes a sense of assurance. This is what the experience of Job was. It's also the experience of many in the psalm, Psalm 77, 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? A believer going through a time where God is withholding a sense of assurance. That's the challenge of Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? There's the mark of a believer. Fears the Lord, obeys the voice of his servant. But the verse goes on. This one, this believer, that walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. There's a time when a believer who fears the Lord, his conscience is clear before God and is obeying scripture, but God has put him in a time of darkness. Richard Sibbs preached a famous sermon entitled, on this text entitled, The Child of Light, Walking in the Darkness. Remember C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape's Letters? This is when the demons were afraid, most afraid. When a believer would continue to pray, even though heaven was as brass. We must be very wise in counseling another believer who lacks assurance of salvation. Yes, unconfessed sin may be a cause, but not always. It might be just the purposes of God to bring us into a time where we learn to trust him in the dark. Because he's equipping us for future ministry. He's preparing us for things we don't understand. These four causes for a lack of assurance. 
Very, very helpful. And then we have the comfort for a lack of assurance. Again, in the confession, yet true believers are never completely deprived of that seed of God and life of faith, that love for Christ and fellow believers, that sincerity of heart and conscience concerning duty, out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by which, in the meantime, they are supported from utter despair. God has promised, because the Holy Spirit indwells you, there will always be faith, even though it's weak. He will keep you from utter despair. Job sent again an example. The trials that came into his life talk about dark providence and not understanding why God has brought him into this time of darkness, and yet he would speak with wisdom, he would speak with faith, even vowing that even if God were to take his life, he would still hope in God. Job thirteen fifteen. God will always preserve his people from utter despair. Micah 7, 7, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out into the light. I will look upon his vindication. And Habakkuk, even though God takes all these things away, yet I will hope in the Lord. We're never left and deserted into a place of utter despair, but in God's time, the Holy Spirit will revive the believer, giving again the confidence of the assurance of their salvation. Psalm 73, 23, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Even in darkness, God will not desert his children. He will never leave us. And we need to learn to trust him in the darkness, that he has a purpose for our lives. And he will answer the prayers of his people. He will answer the prayers of his church. And most of all, he will answer the prayers of our high priest, who is able to save completely or forever to the utmost those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for us, Hebrews 7.25. Causes for lack of assurance, the comfort for lack of assurance, God will not leave us in utter despair. Then some counsel for those with lack of assurance. Can I start with what not to do? And I've been sad to be on the receiving end of some of this very bad counsel. For those who lack assurance, if if you lack assurance of salvation, how do I know that I am really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Bad counsel is just say the words again. This time be more determined. This time write a date down and the hour. Be baptized again. Where's the attention? 
The attention is on you do it more sincerely. But that's no help in the long run. Why? Because how do you know that you're not still being self-deluded with more sincerity? The answer for the lack of assurance is not to look within and do it better, do it harder, do it stronger, do it again. That's not, that's bad counsel. But let me give you these steps for working on assurance of salvation is first to grow in your knowledge of God. Who is your God? Perhaps behind a lot of our doubting of assurance of salvation is we really doubt how could a God like that give me anything? How can I have any assurance of God's love for the likes of me? You need to grow in knowing your God. You need to have your eyes open to the grace of our God. Dr. Ferguson suspects here that the Westminster Confession was thinking of 1 Corinthians 2.12. We've been given the Holy Spirit that we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God. And Romans 8.32, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You need to grow in your knowledge of God who loves his children. And secondly, we need to grow in our knowledge of the gospel. You clear on what justification is. We come as sinners and we repent of our sins. And the scripture assures us that we are fully pardoned, fully forgiven. And not only that, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been credited to our account so that we stand before God and there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we've been adopted into the family of God as his sons and his daughters. And this will be so forever based on the work of Christ, not the basis of our track record. That's the gospel. The focus has to be off of ourselves and onto the work of Christ I was trying to figure out, remember who it was that said this. It sounds like a J.I. Packer quote. But for every look that you look at yourself, you need to take ten looks at Christ. Your focus needs to be on the gospel and resting in the gospel. If we have earthly fathers with their sins and their weaknesses still loved us as children and wanted to provide for us, how much more we have a father in heaven that assures us of his love. To grow in assurance, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. You need to grow in the gospel. Third, you need to avoid following your feelings. They not, may not be a measure of reality at all. And take comfort that even though faith might be strongest, when you feel like assurance is weakest. That was the experience of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15 She simply asked for crumbs from the table because she knew that she was a Gentile and she had no merit to ask Christ for anything. And how did Jesus respond? This woman has great faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. John 20, 29. She had no assurance that she had any right to ask. And Jesus said, you have great faith. Learn not to follow your feelings. When God is out of sight, he's not out of covenant, Thomas Watson. 
The covenant of my peace shall not be removed. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, Isaiah 54.10. Fourth counsel for keeping a clear conscience is to keep a clear conscience for assurance of faith. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed, Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and he that gives us assurance. 2 Corinthians 1.22, but if we have grieved the Holy Spirit, then he will not be giving us assurance. So the reverse, keep a clear conscience, repent quickly when you're aware of your sins, and flee back to Christ. Thomas Watson again, guilt clips the wings of comfort. Five, counsel, be faithful in the means of grace. Thomas Brooks wrote, Without the diligent use of means, a lazy Christian has no right to expect to receive assurance. Without the diligent use of means, a lazy Christian has no right to expect to receive assurance. Because God doesn't zap assurance. He works through means. He works through channels. He works through the word, being under the faithful preaching of the word, the reading of scripture, prayer, fellowship with another believer, those honest conversations, confessing sin to one another that you may be healed. And so each day as you come under the word, you pray for the Holy Spirit's to give you the conviction, the truth, the assurance of salvation. And under the means of grace, one that we perhaps don't mention enough, use the sacraments for assurance of faith. That's one of the purposes in which God has given the sacraments. The sacraments are not primarily what we say to God. They're not our testimony to the world. They're not the testimony, I've decided to follow Jesus. That may be true. But the sacraments are given to us primarily because God is promising you something. And he's promising you. His love for you. He's promising you the gospel is true. You're resting in Christ. He's promising you. Assurance of salvation. Hear the counsel of de Young as he writes, quote, Dear struggling Christian, partake of the Lord's table and be reminded that not only did Christ die for sinners, Christ died for you. Not only did Christ shed his blood for sinners, he shed it for you. Not only can sinners be united to Christ, but he's united to you. As real as the cup you hold, so real is Christ's love for you. As surely as you taste the bread and wine, so as surely should you taste Christ's peace. As the bread and cup sustain your body physically, so Christ's grace promises to sustain you spiritually. All the promises of Christ are not only true, but they're truly yours. Baptism's Serves the Christian in the same way as the water flowed over your head, so are surely you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. As you entered the waters of baptism, so are surely you united with Christ in his life and death and resurrection. Sacraments not only signify this truth to the struggling Christian, but seals it to their soul. Remember, it was on the Maus Road. Christ made himself known to the disciples in the breaking of bread. Luke 24, 35. You can't say it enough. If you don't use the means of grace, you won't have assurance of salvation. Because that's the purpose that God gives you these means. 
to give you the assurance of his love. The sixth counsel is, depending on the Holy Spirit, but you must discipline yourself for godliness. First Timothy 4, 7, make your calling and election sure. And how do you do that? By adding to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge and so on. Second Peter 1, 5, to pray and to work, to change your character into the likeness of Christ, praying that the Holy Spirit will give us more of the willing and doing of his good pleasure so that we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. As we heard this morning, Christ is changing us from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see that he's changing you, that he's, there is growth. You compare yourself to where you were a year ago and two years ago, and your responses are different. There's a greater peace. There's a greater obedience. There's a greater trust. And I would apply this in a corporate way. You need to encourage one another that you see the graces in each other. Sometimes we don't see them so much in ourselves. That's why the writer of Hebrews would say over and over again, encourage one another, encourage one another. This is a community project. Assurance of salvation is not an individual experience. There's a community aspect to this. So you take the time to encourage the other believer. I praise God for your faith. What an example you are to me. And that other believer might say, what are you talking about? I don't see it. I see such a struggle. I have so far to go. But you are such an example to me. And we need that encouragement to one another for the assurance of faith. Because we often don't see the growth that God is bringing in our lives. And then seven My final counsel to those who struggle with assurance of salvation is wait for the Lord. Isaiah 64, 4, since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Psalm 43, 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. It's good news that the assurance of salvation, the experiential feeling, if you will, or sense of my confidence of the gospel that I am a Christian is not the essence of faith, but it's only faith in Christ that saves you. And then we wait for the Lord using his means to grow in assurance of salvation. As you wait for the Lord, as you sense a time of darkness, as you sense perhaps an uneasiness, almost some may feel like I need to walk on eggshells before God because I don't know. That's not of the Lord. The Lord, when he convicts us of sin, will be specific. It will be tied to scripture. It'll, he will show us the way out, First Corinthians 10. And will always show us the way back to Christ. It's the, it's the work of Satan who comes with that sense of confusion and oppression and heaviness and vagueness. And you need to set that aside as you come to Christ in assurance of salvation. If you have a weak assurance of salvation, 
and your question, am I really a believer? I would encourage you that that question itself is a mark of someone who is in Christ because an unbeliever wouldn't even ask the question. It wouldn't even concern them. But it's only someone whose heart is, is, understands the gospel, who understands the love of God, who aches for, to know the love of God. You already have the new heart. And rest in the promises of Scripture. Always come back to Scripture. Always come back to Christ with the assurance that Christ has said, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. And he is one that you can come to with all of your questions and all of your doubts and all of your weaknesses. And he understands. And he will give you himself. Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my Messiah, my servant, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised weak, a bruised reed, that's, the, that's that piece of grass that's been snapped over but not yet fallen. He won't break it. And a faintly burning wick. He will not quench. He's so gentle with those who struggle, so gentle with those who struggle lacking assurance of faith. He won't extinguish the smoldering wick. That's his gentleness as he deals with sinners, as he deals with you and me. Come to Christ. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you tonight that they're given to those who are weak, those who struggle, those who have doubts, those who lack confidence. They're not given to those who have their act together and are perfect in every way. Those masks that we so often are tempted to put on with others. But you know the aches and the loneliness and the struggles of the heart. And we are so grateful to belong to such a God as you. Thank you for the, the promises that you give to us. Your desire is that we enter into the joy of the gospel, that we know the assurance of salvation in Christ. And I would pray particularly for any who struggle with assurance of salvation, that you might show them the way forward tonight from your word, that you might bring along to them an older believer who will counsel them and help them in this process of coming to a full assurance of faith. We pray these things in confidence because we are coming to you asking according to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name.